Good morning. I can't tell you how good it is to see so many of you here. Welcome, and welcome to those who are watching by live stream. My name's Bill Patton, one of the pastors here. I was quite, quite overwhelmed uh, last Sunday as we gathered together and sang, Is Anyone Worthy? Moved to tears, being with you and glorifying him. Quite moved this morning as Andy prayed. We do love you. If you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis 48, we are going to resume our series on the life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 48. And let's jump right in and uh, read the better part of the chapter. Title of my sermon this morning is A Deathbed Scene. And it's good, I think, following the events of this past week to focus our minds on ultimate realities, which this text helps us to do. Genesis 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, that's Jacob's other name, then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an, for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you father after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, 
I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim on his right hand toward Israel's left hand, Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God be with you and bring you again to the land of your fathers. And then he said he gave him one mountain slope that belonged to him in the land. May the Lord bless the preaching this morning of his holy and authoritative word. After my dad uh, suffered a number of health crises, he realized that he didn't have long to live. And dad wanted to leave behind a testament, a, a testimony for his descendants. Now, my parents knew what it meant to be fruitful and multiply. They had 10 children and I was the oldest. When we grew up, all of us had children, and Sue and I had a smallish family with a mere five children. One brother had nine, another brother had eight, one of my sisters had eight. My parents had 68 grandchildren when I stopped counting. I was getting them confused with the great-grandchildren who were beginning to come. Well, when Dad's health problems worsened, he put together a little booklet entitled Grandpa's Stories, complete with some pictures. And in the introduction of 
that booklet, he wrote these words. These stories have been written for our grandchildren and possibly even great-grandchildren. You have only known Grandma and me as old people with gray hair and poor memories who have trouble getting around. Believe it or not, we were not always this way. Dad then took a moment to honor my mother and tell a bit of what she was like when she was younger and point out that her most outstanding qualities were her love for the Lord and her devotion to his word. We want you, our grandkids, to hear directly from us at least a little bit of the life we lived, what was important to us, and how we were led by the Lord through our lives. We've seen a lot of changes during our lifetimes, and you will see changes too. The situations that make up our stories will not be the same as the situations you encounter. Things will change and be different for you than they were for us in every way. Technology, culture, the economy, government, and business. But God does not change. He has a plan for your life, each of you as individuals. Don't go your own way and miss it. Be men and women of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. What follows then are 12 autobiographical stories. Some of them are funny, some of them are amazing, but they all carry a unifying theme of how the Lord led and protected and provided for my parents. We have something similar here in our text this morning. Only what we find in Genesis 48, our chapter, and Genesis 49 is much more significant. This is not only a testament of a godly man to his descendants and a call for them to be faithful to God. It's, it's that, but it's much more. It's a patriarchal blessing which marks out the people from whom God would bring forth the promised seed of Eve, that one who would crush the serpent's head and reverse the effects of mankind's fall into sin. It's a patriarchal blessing marking out the line of our Savior. Now, blessings, it's a blessing. It's a patriarchal blessing. Blessings in the book of Genesis stand in contrast to curses which are found in the book of Genesis. You'll remember a curse came upon mankind as a result of sin. And that resulted in unfathomable hardship and suffering and death. And that curse continues. A curse came upon the natural order as the result of sin making creation itself groan. A curse came upon Cain after he killed his brother Abel. Cain's descendants became great innovators and great city builders, but they also filled the earth, filled the earth with lust and vengeance and cruel brutality. 
And they were swept away in the judgment of the flood. After the flood, a curse came upon Noah's son Ham. Following his perversion in Genesis chapter 9, his descendants too became a great nation, including the nation of the Canaanites. They built impressive and prosperous cities. They filled the land as well with lust and vengeance and brutality. And two of their great cities in, in one of the most uh, fruitful plains of the then known world, Sodom and Gomorrah, were consumed by fire and brimstone in an act of divine judgment. Now, the opposite of divine curses are divine blessings. You want to be under the blessing of God. So some 12 generations after Noah, upon whom the blessing of the Lord rested, the blessings of God and the promises of God were focused again upon one man, Abraham. The scriptures say that God blessed him and promised to make of Abraham a great nation. He blessed him and, and promised to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites. He blessed him and promised that through his descendants, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So the great hope of salvation for mankind came to be focused on Abraham and his offspring. Problem. Abraham and Sarah were unable to conceive. Finally, when they were very old, God came and blessed them. And the son of promise was born, Isaac. Isaac grew up and married Rebekah. She was a woman of faith from Abraham's extended family. But after 20 years of marriage, same problem. Isaac and Rebekah were unable to have children. But Isaac prayed for Rebekah and God answered her prayer. And they finally conceived. But Rebekah thought something must be wrong with the pregnancy. If everything is okay, she asked, why is there so much upheaval and turmoil in my womb? So that woman of faith sought the Lord. And God came to her and told her that there were two nations in her womb. And that the older would serve the younger. That is that the blessing and the promise would pass to the younger son. But when the boys grew up, the twins, it became, it became clear that the older twin, Esau, didn't care about the promise of God or the blessing of God. If he even believed in it at all. He sold his birthright to his younger brother Jacob for a single meal. Then he married not one but two ungodly Canaanite women. So Esau's appetites meant everything to him. And inheriting the blessing and the promises of God, which had found their way all the way from Eve to his dad, meant very little. But when Isaac grew close to death, though he clearly favored Esau, his oldest, he ended up blessing Jacob according to the will of God. So Jacob inherited the blessings and the promises which God had given to Abraham and Isaac. Now we get to our text. 
In our text, Jacob is on his deathbed. And the most prominent feature of the story in Genesis 48 and 49 is the passing of the blessing of God and the promises of God from Jacob to his descendants. And what makes this deathbed scene so huge is that it's much more than simply a godly man testifying to God's faithfulness and calling his descendants to walk with God. It's certainly that, but it's much more. Deathbed blessing scenes in Genesis always point to the ones through whom God will bring the promised seed who will crush the serpent's head and rescue mankind from the curse of sin. Well, Joseph is told that his father lays ill and dying. So Joseph, a good and a godly son, drops everything. He drops everything to say goodbye to his dad. To say goodbye to that imperfect but faithful man who loved him, who raised him, who passed on to him the knowledge of God which Joseph believed from his youth. So Joseph, Joseph gathered up his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. They were about 20 years old now. We often picture them as, as, as young boys, but they were, they were 20 years old now. And together, no doubt with weeping, they rushed to where Jacob lay on his deathbed. When they arrived, Jacob was told, Joseph has come to you. And the text says, then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. So just imagine for a moment with me. I see Jacob summoning what little physical strength remained in his body. See him, see him struggling, exerting himself to sit up in bed. And see him as well summoning spiritual strength stirring up the prophetic gift within him. He was a prophet. In order to greet these two grandsons one last time, this side of eternity, and as the patriarch of the family, as a prophet of God, to bless them with the blessing of his fathers that they might inherit the promises. So Jacob begins with two remembrances. His first remembrance was of God himself. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Here Jacob remembered when God first visited him at Bethel, Genesis chapter 28, when God confirmed to him that the promises made to Abraham and Isaac would be fulfilled in him and his descendants, not his brothers, that God would cause him to be fruitful and multiply, that God would give to his descendants the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. That was Jacob's first and most important remembrance as he begins this time of sort of prophetic ministry over his grandchildren. And springing from that remembrance and no doubt following the leading of the Spirit, Jacob did something astonishing. He adopted Joseph's sons as his own sons. Like what? He adopted Joseph's sons as his own sons. Twice 
to confirm it, to make it absolutely sure and certain. Twice he said, they are mine. They are mine as much as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Those were his oldest two. By adopting Joseph's sons as his own, Jacob deeded the double blessing, not to Reuben, his firstborn, but to Joseph. From Joseph would come not one, but two tribes of Israel. You look in the back of your Bible, you look at the map of Israel and the tribes of Israel, and you'll see that there's no tribe of Joseph. There's the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, a double portion given to Joseph. Jacob's second remembrance, which I find to be quite moving. Jacob's second remembrance was of his beloved wife, Rachel, who was Joseph's mother. Jacob, Jacob was smitten with Rachel from the get-go. I mean, he was head over heels, flipped out over her when he met her. The scriptures say that Rachel was very beautiful. And for him, it was love at first sight. And from that moment on, it's clear that Rachel was never far from his mind, including here on his deathbed. He's about to die. He remembers God, and he remembers his beloved. Here at the end of his life, he remembered the day he lost the woman he loved, the day she died on the way to Bethlehem, on the day she died giving birth to Benjamin. But he not only remembered her, he paid one last tribute to the love of his life by giving her son, Joseph, the double blessing and by adopting her grandsons as his own. Very touching memorial and picture of, a, of the love between a man and a woman. But these two remembrances of, of God and of his beloved Rachel were more than simply sentimental remembrances. The first remembrance was calculated to bring to their minds the living God. God Almighty who had revealed himself to their fathers and who had blessed them and who promised to their descendants the land of Canaan. The second remembrance of Rachel was calculated to bring to mind the boy's grandmother who was laid to rest not in Egypt but in the land of promise. So together, these remembrances were a powerful message to Ephraim and Manasseh to not assimilate with the Egyptians. I mean, what would have happened if the descendants of Jacob had assimilated? There would be no exodus. It was a powerful message not to assimilate with the Egyptians, to not become indistinguishable from them. To not abandon faith in the promises of God about the land of Canaan. It's as, if, it's as if Jacob was saying, boys, you have been born in Egypt, but you are not children of Egypt. You are children of promise. And that promise has come to this family by God's sovereign hand. Yes, you were born in Egypt, but you hail from the land of promise. And your grandmother, Rachel, 
is buried there. It's as if he's saying, boys, your future is not in the pleasures and the promises and the prospects that you have before you as sons of the second most powerful ruler in Egypt. The future of this family is in the land of promise. The future of this family is in an, an, an imperishable, eternal inheritance which has been promised by God. Brothers and sisters, the same is true of us. How so? Well, we were at one time alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenant of promise. We had no hope and were without God in the world. But in Christ, we have been brought near and we are included in the family of Israel. That's why Paul said in Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We may be in the world, brothers and sisters, but we are not of the world. We are strangers and sojourners in this world. Our future is not in this world or the kingdoms of this world. Our future is in the kingdom of heaven and we are now citizens of that kingdom. Our future is in that bright land where we'll never grow old. Our future is in that place that Christ is preparing for us. So let's not blend in with the world. Let's be distinct and different and testify to them about the age to come. Be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. Come into the household of faith. So we come to Jacob's prophetic blessing upon the two young men. And this as well is a scene that's filled with drama. Jacob's dad, Isaac, was blind in the later years of his life. So now Jacob is nearly blind. So Jacob called the young men forward so that he could see them. And when he saw them, he embraced them and kissed them with the affection of a grandfather. And he paused to marvel at the unexpected kindness of God. It's like he interrupts the formalities to marvel at the grace of God. He says, I never expected to see your face, Joseph. But God has let me see your offspring also. He is amazed at the kindness of of God. And I, I think this is a te the testimony of all who have walked with God for a lifetime. We say, things have not gone as I expected. I've known sorrow and suffering. Nevertheless, God has blessed me beyond all expectation. That was Jacob's testimony. And that's our testimony as well. Friends, if God blesses us beyond our expectations, if he does exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we've asked or thought, what awaits us? What awaits us? The scriptures say, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, 
Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, the promises of God. Well, Joseph at that point bows to the ground. He puts his face on the floor. Here's the second in command of all of Egypt. And he sets aside his royal dignity in meekness to put his face on the ground before Almighty God and to bow before this frail, aged, wandering shepherd prophet, his dad, through whom God was about to prophetically speak. Then he rises from the ground and Jacob begins his invocation of God and his blessing. A threefold invocation. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The angel who redeemed me from all evil. That's his invocation. Those who inherit the promises of God. Those under whom the blessing of God abides. They walk before God. They walk through life knowing that they are under his watchful eye. Are you aware of the fact that you walk before him? That his eye is upon you to guard you and to protect you? To watch over you? Do you have an awareness that you want to please him because we walk before him? Those who inherit the promises of God can say at the end of their life, He is the God who has been my shepherd the whole way. He made me lie down in green pastures. Again and again, he restored my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. And those who inherit the promises can say with Jacob, the angel of the Lord has redeemed me and rescued me from all evil. Who is this unnamed angel? Well, he's the redeemer And the rescuer who is invoked as God himself, he is nothing else but the pre-incarnate Christ. So Jacob thus invokes God and he says, May this God bless the boys. This is not your generic, may the Lord bless you. This is a prophetic mark of divine election and chosenness. Now Jacob crossed his arms and gave Ephraim, the younger son, the greater blessing. Joseph was displeased. He assumed that his dad wasn't seen clearly or was confused. But Jacob was seen just fine. He was seen just fine. He was seen in the spirit. So twice he repeated, I know. I know. Son, I know what I'm doing. I know. He was seeing God's purposes, and he saw that God was going to give Ephraim the greater blessing, and that's exactly what happened. Did you know that Joshua, who led the conquest of the people of Israel some 400 years later, was a son of Ephraim? Now, 
Hebrews chapter 11, which is that great chapter called the Hall of Faith. It's like the Hall of Fame of, of faith in the Old Testament. Hebrews 11 selects this episode, the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh, as the great act of faith in Jacob's life. And you, you read that and you think, well, wait a minute, where's the great faith? Where's the great faith? It says in Hebrews eleven twenty one, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, when Jacob was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And this is a good place for us to close this morning by asking ourselves, where do we see Jacob's faith? And how do we imitate his faith? Well, Jacob's faith comes into focus for us when we consider his circumstances. Jacob spent his whole life in the land of Canaan. He was a wanderer there. He was a stranger there. He was a sojourner there in the land of promise. And his sojourn was never easy. He was scarcely permitted by the locals to drink water drawn from wells which he himself had dug at great expense and effort. The Canaanites kept filling up the wells he dug with dirt. Get out of here. Go somewhere else. Not only did Jacob not own any land, aside from maybe a burial plot in the hill, but now he was exiled from the land. He's not even in the land. He's far away from the land. He's been exiled by a famine to Egypt. So the question that we must ask is, on what basis did he give all that land to his grandsons? as their inheritance. Let me think about it for a minute. It's unheard of for a decrepit old man to deed an inheritance to his descendants that he does not possess. Here, boys, it's yours. I'm gonna give these two a double portion. How can he deed an inheritance to his descendants which he doesn't possess. Well, he apportioned to Joseph's sons an inheritance of land based solely upon the promises of God. If God had promised it, then it was done. And it was his to pass on to his sons as an inheritance. Now, that's heroic faith. All he had was the promise of God. Jacob was not walking by sight. He was walking by faith. He believed the promise of God. Death has a wonderful way of focusing the mind on what truly matters in life. And here at the end of his life, the wealth and the pleasures and the riches 
and the honors of Egypt, which lay before his family. They were set. His grandsons were set to inherit the, the riches and the blessings of Egypt. All of that meant nothing. It meant nothing with that clarity that comes at the end of life. What meant everything at the end of his life were the promises of God and the part that his family would play in the great unfolding of God's sovereign plan to bring salvation to the world. That's what mattered. That's what the, the sharp focus of approaching death gave to him. It's that, it's that, it's that perspective on what matters. So how do we imitate Jacob's faith? Well, we imitate his faith when we look to the future, which is full of uncertainty. We imitate his faith when we look to the future with full confidence that the Lord will do everything he pledged to do. That all he promised to us belongs to us already, no matter how bleak or how foreboding the circumstances may appear. We imitate Jacob's faith when that inheritance which is kept in heaven for us, that pure and undefiled and imperishable inheritance kept for us in heaven is everything to us. We imitate his faith when that's where our hearts are. We imitate his faith when we pass along the promises of God to our families and call them to play their part in the great unfolding of God's promise to bless every family on earth. That's what my dad was trying to do. Brothers and sisters, think for a moment about the promises of God. God has promised to make of his church a great multitude. Promised to make Abraham a great multitude. Isaac, Jacob, a great multitude. Ephraim, Manasseh, a great multitude. God has promised to make his church a great multitude. And he has promised to bring us into a new promised land. One day there shall be gathered before the throne a multitude that no man can number a multitude from every tongue and tribe and nation. And together with one voice we will sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. A multitude that no man can count. It will make our eyes water. That's the promise of God. And then we will hear God say, Behold, I make all things new. And that multitude of new creation people will inherit a new creation world to explore and to enjoy forever. No longer will there be anything under a curse. All will be blessing. So let's believe the promises of God. Let's believe the promises of God. And let's Cling to them with all our hearts, come what may. Amen.